amazing if you just didn't do that. Mm, no. Um. Don't. 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 Bye, Spoopy. Oh. Wow. Wow. So, guess what? What? Um, I'm doing the... Did you do the Google surveys? Uh, No, is that the one? They they pay you for that shit, right? Oh, my God. Have you viewed all or part of this video on YouTube? Ariana Grande, Dangerous Woman. (laughs) Absolutely. Too many times. (laughs) For the rest of the survey, we will refer back to this video, calling it Video A. Please confirm that you understand. I understand. Imagine you're watching Video A. Would this be a good recommendation for the next video for you to watch? Ariana Grande, Seven Rings. Uh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> what, if anything, uh, do you dislike about this next video recommendation? Uh, absolutely nothing. It is... Oh, wait. Here are the options. It looks violent, gory, or gross. Yes. Seven rings, obviously. Yeah. Unrelated to video A. Mm. That's not true. Yeah. Junky or trashy. Yes. Yes. But we love that. But that's why we want to watch it. It looks misleading or sensationalistic. Uh, I mean... A little bit. She's trying to be sexy, and I've never thought Ariana Grande's sexy. Yeah. Uninteresting to me? No. Falsest thing I've ever heard. It's Ariana Grande. Overly sexual? How about... Exactly the right amount of That's sexual. what we need. Imagine you're watching video eight. Would this be a good net, good recommendation for you to watch next? Ariana Grande, Honeymoon Avenue. I've never heard that song. I don't know that song. I'm going to do four stars. Okay. What, if anything, do you dislike about this next video recommendation? Uninteresting, violent, gory, or gross, overly sexual, misleading or sensationalistic, unrelated to video A, it looks junky or trashy. I would say uninteresting. I'm going to go none of the above. Oh, okay. How much money did I get? 80 cents for six wow. questions. That's kind of stupid. But anyways, I have $10.94 That can add up really fast, now. though. But that is only used on Play Store? Yeah. That's dumb. I want them to pay me. You know how, what, 10.26, though, I can get a movie. That's how I've gotten most one, of my movies. One movie? Yes. But it's mine. Buy the movie. Yeah. You, you buy the movie. You buy them at the store. Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't get it for free. I would have. That would have been money that I'd spent. This is money that I never spent because it was free. I don't understand why. Well, apparently you... there's a place online that you can um, do these surveys, but they'll pay you physical money for those, not just electronic money. Are you thinking about getting a second job? Why not? <laughs> Actually, I used to look at it and co- look at these things in college, um, and then whenever I worked um, at the DNA testing company and was not making enough money, I was like, "What is something that I can do while I'm sitting here, not listening to these customers, and make money at the same time?" And that was one of them. I didn't ever do it, but you should open a nail salon. <laughs> Paint people's nails while I'm talking <laughs> in the office with customers. Like people I'm are coming to visit to me. That, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you want so... pink? I'm, I'm sorry. Did you want pink? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, that your wife's your wife died and you swabbed her dead mouth and sent that into the facility for testing, uh, and that they didn't. Pass, they can't get so... anything out. Of what? A dead woman's mouth. 
They can. I used to be the person who was specialized in Deceased. telling people that I was in charge of special samples, and special samples means dead, dead people. people. So I had the great fun job of telling people when most of the samples would fail on dead people because they are not producing saliva, and a lot of it's in saliva. So that was always fun. Hmm. Classic, you know? I love that. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, we've been recording. Yeah. I love that. Of course. <laughs> Why would I? Wait, just... when did we, you start? Where, was it when we were talking, when about, I was the talking about the survey? Yeah. <laughs> This is a conversation. We're having a conversation okay, okay, with our, okay. our audience. <laughs> I just thought you were randomly showing me this Ariana Grande. Well, thing. no, I wanted you to see it too. Okay, okay. it had Ariana Grande. I figured you could use that somehow. Yeah, when uh, I don't know what you said, I wasn't listening because I was too excited about the next thing I was going to say. So, <laughs> Chris, everybody, <laughs> um, world class thing, listener. <laughs> there's this thing that's been going around the past month in the Houston drag community. That's like, what are two songs that you or not two two artists that you know that you, uh, that the Queen would perform to? And I was like, oh, it's Kesha. But lately, Ariana Grande has been in every single one of my mixes. So am I an Ariana Grande queen now? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> You're an Ariana. St- You're an Ari Stan. Oh boy. You're an Ariana. Bente. And I've done a lot of Nicki Minaj songs too. Well, every drag queen does Nicki Minaj. Yeah, that's true. There's it, no getting around that. Yeah, you have to. She has a big ass and a lot of opinions. So and big boobs. Yeah, big boobs. <laughs> so every drag queen wants to be like that. Nicki Minaj. Yeah, Kesha used to be like all the songs, my go-to songs, or part of all my mixes, and now Ariana Grande. Just all of her songs are just so relatable, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want it. I got it. Yeah. And Little Mix. I like Little Mix a lot. Lil Mix? Lil Mix. Mm. I don't really like Lil Mix that much. I I don't know why I like them so much. I what just about do. Camilla? Um, she's all right. Mm. I want to do... So I listened to the song uh, again, even though it was popular recently. Uh, the song Consequences. And I want to do it like an alternative kind of um, uh, performance, I guess, to that song. But I won't spill it. Everyone has to come see it. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to do it, but it's kind of dark. Will there be consequences? There will be consequences. Ooh! Especially if you don't show up, bitches. There was something related to Drag Race that I was going to talk about. All Stars 5 my... still has not been announced. Like, girl, it's middle of January. The cast has been announced. Yeah, well, no, well, the cast has not cast been announced. cast has been leaked. Leaked for a while, yes. No, but there was something else. Because like, even All Stars 1 was earlier than this like are we gonna do season because they've already they recorded that before they recorded season 12 mm-hmm. we're on season 12 right yes okay well rupaul's too busy doing that stupid netflix show that nobody's watching i watched two episodes of it it is shockingly bad <laughs> it's something it exists mm. i'll keep watching it mostly because i want to see all the drag queens that are in it that's it and I think that's what Netflix knew, was that it was like, RuPaul was like, okay, I have what this can idea. What fucking gays to watch me. TV for? I have this idea. Hear me out. Netflix is like, what is it, dude? Drag queens. Bitch, and- I'm in. Because, <laughs> I mean, the first episode had um, Bianca Del Rio. It had Miss Vanjie. It had Eureka, Valentina. I mean, there was uh, uh, Alexis Mateo. Uh, I mean, they were all in in this uh the first episode and the second episode had jinx monsoon and katya and i'm like you can't go wrong with all that like that's jinx a lot and katya in the same oh episode. and manila yeah manila manila. Not, manila was in episode one wow 
I was so, looking for this. It's not going to show up. But uh, Ariana Grande is performing at the Grammys. Uh-huh. End of sentence. I saw Ariana Grande in, in concert here in Houston. And also a funny story with that is that uh, she came in May, but apparently her tickets went on sale in, like, October of, like, the year, be- before. The year before. And I had bought tickets. Oh, yeah, you told me. But, I but you don't remember. I didn't remember it. So then my friends were like, oh, hey, like, when do you want to get for the Ariana Grande concert? And I'm like, oh, I don't have tickets. Like, yes, you, you bought do. Them. You bought them. I bought them for you. You paid me $90 for it. Oh, my God. I love that. Classic, you know? And she was like, Maris. And you were in the background like, seven rings. Way up at the top, just by myself. No one else in the stadium, just... <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> Ariana, can you uh, can you cheer a little louder, please? It's just you and me. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> You're doing a good job, girl. Love was, it. Of course, I was way up at the tippy tappity top. Way up at you know. so it was more like this. <laughs> yeah, love just, that. Yeah. <laughs> she she had a very good crowd there. <laughs> <laughs> just you. Mm-hmm trash yeah also that <laughs> well um you're going on vacation yeah oh, kind of it's a work trip tell everyone about where you're going we're going to nothing exciting nowhere crazy just going to cabo mexico oh my god <laughs> you have to say san lucas there's cabo more san than lucas. one cabo isn't there is there more than so. one cabo i don't know everyone keeps calling it los cabo i'm like what is that why the cabo what does cabo mean Mm-hmm. Hey Google, what does Cabo mean in English? Cape. cape. Going to the Cape. <laughs> Woo! The Cape. Yeah, but what color is it? Uh, is it daytime accessible? I would hope that it's like a nice aquamarine. I want like an aubergine, like a mm. eggplant. I don't know what aubergine means, so. Eggplant. Purple. Just fucking say purple. <laughs> or eggplant. <laughs> um. <laughs> I would like donuts. I would or too, a as of right now, because I'm still on my diet and I'm doing well. Thank Good you for work. asking. Yeah, <laughs> we care about that. You asked earlier, <laughs> just not on. I the literally ca- didn't. The, I don't not, know what this, you're talking. This is about. not a camera. This is a microphone. Thomas asked. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. You just got here. <laughs> I show up. Didn't say a word to you. Immediately start recording. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I have not been here for an hour. And we don't want minutes, them to so. miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> we should just set up the like the um, YouTube what not YouTube the the camera camera to just like as soon as I walk in like hey let's record every single action that sounds terrible but then especially since most of my actions like were just <laughs> 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 bitch I'm getting skinny we're learning slowly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you walked in with donuts no I didn't I walked in looking. Like a skinny Thin. legend. Yeah. She's Trim. Looks like a nice piece of paper, doesn't she? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I was really worried. I'm, I think that you might... There's cracks in this. In I'll this, slip through. Yeah. In this, I'm going in. This vinyl, you could just like yeah. slip right through. You see then, that? You do. Almost be careful. <laughs> it almost got me. I would put ropes up, but yeah. they'd be very thin. Yeah. And I would slip through those ropes. You'd slip through the ropes. Yeah. There's so many spaces. I'm so skinny now. <laughs> I am the thinnest person <laughs> ever. No, I'm not Mariah. <laughs> the skinniest legend. <laughs> I, um, I can't do that. I have been watching this really 
I don't want to say bad things about her. Watching a really boring girl on YouTube uh-huh. who suffered with anorexia, and she just like shows people what she eats now. I'm like, I'm proud of you, girl, but you're boring. Yeah. I'm glad that you had this eating disorder, but she was like, and you grew from it. Crazy thing. But you are... Um, she could fit her hands around her leg. No. Her thigh. Like just one hand or both? Both. I can almost do that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. See? <laughs> Don't look hey, behind. Someone get over here. Put another hand. <laughs> I have three hands. It's, it's fine. Perfect. I put all three of my hands around my waist. No, not my waist. My <laughs> What is that? Thigh. There you go. Is that one? Oh, it's him. Okay, we're good. The dog looking. I thought it was someone like breathing. Like someone's breathing really heavy. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> Being it's on the paleo you're so diet. skinny now. Yeah. I don't have room for my lungs. Get rid of them. <laughs> Who needs them? I'll just take one out. I already t- took out two of my ribs. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. You're Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah. <coughs> okay. You want to talk about some spoopy stuff? Do- I have like seven pages. I have no, six. eight. <laughs> oh. I get to go first this time. Okay. So, uh, um, I'm still not exactly sure what our theme is. I don't either, because I was trying to find things today. And, uh, I mean, long time ago, I was trying to find things. Um, And I could not figure out what I was actually trying to find. I have no idea what you were talking about. I just started searching for cold cases that were super weird, so... That's I went morphed into unsolved a little bit. Okay. But this one's weird. Okay. Because, like, the last one... We know that the guy did it, but it's still, you know, there's the It could owl. have been that owl. Yeah, it could have been that owl. Some say that the owl The veterinarian still... said that that owl. <laughs> that owl is still free today. They could have taken that owl out. He killed a woman. I know. I'm sure the FBI put a hit out on him or something. He's probably dead, but. Honestly, global warming, you can climate never... change, owl's dead. Never trust <laughs> the real. owl. Never trust it. Never trust an owl. I mean. They're always like questioning things. They're always, They're like, always like, "Who?" <laughs> there was there's a um, a white people tweet. Of course, like something. I don't. I thought you were gonna say TikTok. I was like, God. Could yeah, probably could be a TikTok. They're like, um, someone in this room has a deathly fear of owls, and this guy's like, "Who?" And then you hear this other guy in back. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I love that. Um, speaking of TikToks, uh, one of the queens at Dragon Four, hosted by Blackberry at Rebar. Um, I don't. I'm, they're not paying me. Why did I advertise that? Um, did so last week. The challenge w- for the performance was like uh, pop, like iconic pop moments or iconic, iconic moments. Essentially. Oh like, my god! I, like, and he did the crying girls dance. N- no, one of the queens did uh, the death of Vine. And so she took a bunch of like famous vines and like compiled them together with also like different music and stuff like that as well. Uh, one of the um, judges uh, was an older queen, um, and she did not understand anything about vine. So she was like, "This entire performance was lost to me." It was like, "Aren't drag queens supposed to be up on pop culture? Like, come on." <laughs> Who was it? Uh, I will tell you later. <laughs> But if anyone listens to this podcast and also went to that, they already know. It was Kimber Devine. <laughs> oh, I don't know who that is anyway. Yeah. So. Well, you probably Shade. Said at Hamburger Mary's, but I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll tell you about it later. Oh, is it the old one? <laughs> <laughs> I just said that in a nicer way. <laughs> is it the one with the saggy boobs? No, no, no. 
With the lip implants. Wait, did you? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she knows. She's she got boob knows. implants. She has boob implants. Oh, wait, what did you say? I said, is she the one with the boob implants? No, you said saggy Same. boobs. Yeah, but no, they're, they're not saggy. saggy. No. She, <laughs> no. The one time I saw her performing at Hamburger Mary's and she was doing a Disney, like, Belle costume. Was Were you with me? And no. She had a corset on and her nipple popped out. <laughs> Love that. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then they shut the whole place down. Yeah, just get out. And... Get out. <laughs> I think it was a brunch show, too. Like, oh girl. And if it was daylight, that would be so great. Yeah, I think it was daylight. I think it was because I was with Nick. We went to because he wanted to go to Hamburger Mary's because it was Disney. Oh, I was about to say, Nick doesn't go anywhere. No, he likes Disney. Anyways, he only goes out for Disney. Uh, yeah. And Star Wars. Turns up for Disney and Star Wars. And Renaissance. Yeah, that too. What a nerd. <laughs> Honestly. Anyways, um, so it's my turn. I'm going to go first. Okay. Because you went first last time. Yeah, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, have you ever heard of the mysterious crimes and disappearance of D.B. Cooper? No. Oh. I'm excited. You're in for a treat. <laughs> Is this making a lot of noise? Yes. Please take off your corset. Mm. Mm. Take off mm. that wig. Mm. Mm. You look like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Gross. Is it because you are riddled with anticipation? I was trying to think of another <laughs> word that started with antisa. Anticipation. Pa- Pax on. Anyways, so um, <clears throat> if you were alive in the 70s, you would know all about it. And you're 104, so you know. I'm not Thomas. Did it just get really dark in here? <laughs> and I. Oh. Anyways, um, so we're going to talk about this crime and what people believe could have happened because it's believe. technically unsolved, but depending on the source that you listen to, they, I love the theories. they do say Honestly, that it is solved. Honestly, I think that that's our theme this month, is uh, theories. <laughs> theories. The, the theories of what could have been. I so had like already any, picked another one, so... I'm any murder that's not that. a serial killer that has theories of what actually happened, I think is my favorite thing. So that's that's our, our theme. Okay. Decided. <laughs> um, so, picture it. Mm. November 24th, 1971. Oh my god. Thanksgiving Eve. I'm picturing it. I was there. I'm picturing lots of Jello desserts, uh, like fruit and cakes. Jello side dishes. One thing that I always thought as a child that I would experience a lot more as an adult Ambrosia was fruit salad. cakes. Yeah, that's uh-huh. what I wanted to say. No fruit cakes, uh, because they were all over like SpongeBob and all the cartoons. Like fruit cakes were going to be would, everywhere. Like, throw it at somebody and they would break their entire exactly. Face. But I have never experienced a fruit cake ever. I've had it before, and it's a very, it's not as hard as they say it's supposed to be. It's just a spice cake with candied fruit in it. That sounds good to me. Why does everyone hate it? It sounds good to me, too. Well, I would probably not. (laughs) The raisins in it. Ooh. Because, like, the candied fruit is like jujubes. What's jujubes? You've never had that candy? No. Like fruit It's a drag queen. Oh. So, like, sugar. Chewier. Yeah. Like sugar snacks. Yeah. Oh. Well, Sugar snacks. Use... <laughs> snacks. Yeah. So if you use candies in it, that's the the key. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So 
You should make one. Hmm. Not until next Christmas. No. Not like a summer fruitcake. <laughs> Sounds terrible. I want to make a summer. <gasps> <laughs> I want to make a summer sangria with like white wine. I've wanted to do it for a while. Apples. Like apples and honeydew and cucumbers. Apparently, cucumber is very good to put in white wine. Did you know that? I wouldn't do that. I would. I'm gonna try it. I feel like cucumber is such a strong flavor, and honeydew is, is such a subtle flavor. Apple is strong, and it would pair with yeah. the wine. So, yeah. Anyway. anyway. Um. Well. <laughs> So it's November 24th, 1971. Yeah, um, a middle-aged man, well-dressed in a black suit with a black attache case, attache. Uh, enters Portland International Airport in Oregon. Uh, he's headed for the ticketing counter and purchases a ticket for a one-way trip to Seattle mm. on Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 in cash, which costs a grand total of twenty dollars. I was gonna say it's super cheap because Portland and, and Seattle are very close. Well, to like each an other. hour apart. Not even that. Like you can drive. <laughs> yeah, a thir- It's a thirty-minute flight. Yeah, he has no time to drive. It's closer than Houston is to San Antonio. Really? Like, yes, it's mm. very close. <laughs> I, that's, I thought it was kind of like a because mm. the flight. I from, don't have time. Maybe because the flight from Houston to San Antonio is like forty-five minutes. And that's a mm. two and a half hour drive. I flew from Houston to Dallas, and it's like thirty minutes. Yeah. Oh. No. I'm... Yeah. Mm. Dallas and San Antonio are about the same distance. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas is a little bit further. Yeah. Well, thirty minutes up in the air. It was like fifty-five minutes altogether from like taking off and landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excuse me. That's not the point. Uh, anyway. Um, so <laughs> he buys the ticket and he sits down to wait for his flight. Apparently. Uh, he went to the airport bar and had a drink. He had a bourbon and a soda. Mm-hmm. Bourbon and a soda? Bourbon soda. Okay. What do they call that? Bourbon soda. Isn't there another word for it? I call mine vodka soda. Was What am I supposed to call it? Bourbon soda. Twink juice? <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, let's add, add a splash of cranberry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so he boards his flight, a Boeing 727-100, for his t- uh, 250 takeoff. Uh, the plane departs approximately one-third full. Why do you know all this detail? Because. Okay. It's on the internet. <laughs> um, shortly after the takeoff, Cooper hands a note to Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant in the jump seat at the rear of the plane. Schaffner, who initially believed that the man was attempting to give her his phone number, dropped the note into her purse, ignoring him. And he stared at her until she paid attention to him again, and he said, Miss... You'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. Okay. Is this going the direction you thought it was going? No. So Cooper told Schaffner to write a new note. The note contained Cooper's demands. Uh, oh, wait. No, shit. I skipped something. So this is in, in the middle of takeoff. Like, if they're if the flight attendant's still in the jump seat, they're in the middle of takeoff. Yep. So she reads the note, and unfortunately the note was never recovered because Cooper retrieved the note. But it said something to the effect of, Miss, I have a bomb, and I would like you to come sit by me. Schaffner obeys the note and goes and sits next to Cooper, who opens his briefcase to reveal wires and hardware that would suggest a bomb. Cooper told Schaffner to write a new note. The new note contained Cooper's demands, $200,000 in a negotiable American currency, four parachutes, two primaries, and two reserves, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the the aircraft upon arrival. 
Schaffner conveyed Cooper's instructions to the pilot in the cockpit. When she returned, Cooper was wearing dark sunglasses. The pilot, William Scott, contacted Seattle-Tacoma on the air traffic control uh, and informed the local, federal local and federal authorities. 36 passengers on board were given false information that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of a minor mechanical difficulty. Northwest Orient's president, Donald Nearop, authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with hijackers' demands. The aircraft circled Puget Sound for approximately two hours to allow Seattle police and FBI sufficient time to assemble Cooper's parachutes and ransom money and to mobilize emergency personnel. So this 30-minute plane ride is turned into two hours and 30 minutes. But why do they need parachutes on the ground? They're going to deliver them on into the plane, he asked me. Oh. Because so, he's taking the plane. Well, also, $200,000 $200, is not that much for a airplane. The reason why they did that is because the airplane is worth millions More of dollars. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, uh, please don't wreck that. Yeah. Um, so flight attendant Tina Mucklow recalled that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. At one point, he remarked, Looks like Tacoma down there, as the aircraft flew above Tacoma. Um, Let me switch this to the easy-to-read version. Mm. Uh, Yep. Yep, there we go. (laughs) He also correctly mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at that time from Seattle, Tacoma. Uh, Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken. Not at all consistent with the stereotypes of enraged, hardened criminals or the take-me-to-Cuba political dissents, dissidents uh, popular with air piracy at the time. Mucklow Wait, stated, I'm sorry, popular? How much... How, there was a lot of high, plane hijackings in the 70s. Seriously? There was a ton of them. What the fuck? Yeah. I didn't research a lot of them, but apparently it was kind of wow. commonplace. Interesting. Um, you hey, remember ma'am, that? I have a bomb. Surprise. You remember that movie Airplane with um No. That guy who has white hair but he wasn't really old when he had white hair? Uh George Clooney? No. Anyways. <laughs> it's a comedy and they're like they have oh. hijackers and things. Oh. Anyway. Um you know, so <laughs> big uh, boobs. Big boobs. <laughs> Anyways, child. Uh, Mucklow stated that he wasn't nervous, she told investigators. He seemed rather nice, and he was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. He ordered a second bourbon and soda, paid his drink tab, and attempted to give a tip to the flight attendant. Um, While he was on this hijacked plane that he said he had a bomb on. Uh Uh-huh. And then he offered to request meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. Like, hey, you're stuck on this plane. Listen. Let's get some food. This hijacking is crazy, but do you want a pizza? What the fuck? Can you <laughs> can you bring up, like, Pizza Hut can on we, the plane? What you just said, can we make that a t-shirt? Yo. <laughs> this hijacking's crazy, but you want a pizza? Yeah. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> um, so then they're, they get closer to, or they're, in Seattle, really, but they're just circling. So the FBI agents assembled the ransom money from several uh, area banks, uh, $10,000 or 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. 
most with the serial numbers beginning with the letter L, indicating issuance from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and most from the 1963A or 1969 series. Um, they made a microfilm photograph of each of them. Wow, this is very detailed. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, because it's a big mystery. Yeah, yeah. Well, you haven't gotten to the mystery uh, Yeah, we haven't got the mystery part, but I'm excited to find out. Uh, so Cooper rejected the military-issue parachutes offered by, offered by McCord uh, Air Force Base personnel, instead demanding civilian parachutes with manually operated ripcords. Seattle police obtained them from a local skydiving school. At 5.24 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Cooper was informed that his demands had been met and that at, at uh, 5.39 p.m., the aircraft landed in Seattle, Tacoma. It was more than an hour after sunset, and Cooper instructed Scott, the pilot, to taxi the jet to an isolated, brightly lit section of the apron and close each window shade. The apron's like the yeah. place where the planes hang out. Mm. Uh, the hangar. No, like the not the hair, but like the docking port. Yeah, yeah, like the the deck. Mm -hmm. um, the cabin did her police snipers. So they said close all the windows on board. Uh, Northwest Orient's <clears throat> Seattle operations manager Al Lee approached the aircraft in street clothes to avoid the possibility that Cooper might mistake his airport uniform for a police officer. Uh, he delivered the cash-filled knapsack and parachutes to Mucklow via the aft stairs, so the back staircase. Because this, this plane has the one where we normally think about getting out of a plane. And these are 70s planes, so you get out onto the tarmac. You don't yeah. get into one of those tunnel things. So there's that one. And then there's one that comes down from the tail. Okay. Um, so he delivers that. Um, after the delivery was done, Cooper ordered all the passengers, Schaffner, and the senior flight attendant, Alice Hancock, to get off the plane. So basically everyone. Except the pilots and Tina Mucklow. Okay. The poor flight attendant that he gave the note to. No, that's Schaffner. He oh. let her get off the plane. Okay. During Wait, who's Mucklow? Another flight attendant. Oh, okay. There was three flight attendants okay. on board. During refueling, uh, Cooper outlined his flight plan to the cockpit crew. A southwest or southeast course towards Mexico City. At minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft approximately 100 knots or 115 miles an hour, a maximum altitude of 10,000 feet. Um, and he further That's specified... low. Mm -hmm. He further specified that the landing gear was to remain deployed and in the takeoff to position, uh, the wing flaps would be lowered to 15 degrees and the cabin would remain unpressurized. Okay. Co-pilot William Rat... Rat... Oh, God, this name is not going to go over well. <laughs> Ratazak. Ratazak? R A T A C Z A K. Ratachak. 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 Uh, informed Cooper that the aircraft's range was limited to approximately 1,000 miles under the specified flight configuration, which meant that a second refueling would be nece necessary before entering Mexico. Was that a lie or was that real? That's real. Okay. Cooper and the crew discussed options and decreed that Reno, Nevada uh, was the refueling stop. It was either Reno or Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, with the plane's rear exit door open and the staircase extended, Cooper directed the pilot to take off. Northwest's home office objected on the grounds that it was unsafe to take off with the aft staircase deployed. Mm -hmm. uh, Cooper countered that it was indeed safe, but he would not argue on the point. 
He would lower it once they were airborne. On an FAA official request, a face-to-face -face meeting with Cooper aboard the aircraft was denied. The refueling process was delayed because of a vapor lock in the fuel, tank, fuel tanker truck's pumping mechanism. However, once refueling had been completed, the plane was able to take off. Approximately 7.40 p.m., the Boeing 727 took off with only five people on board. Oh, there was another. Wait. Yeah, was Cooper, like the pilot, the flight attendant Mucklow, co-pilot Ratichak, oh, and the flight engineer H.E. Anderson. I don't know who that is. They only... That's He's the there. First time I've seen his name. <laughs> uh, two F-106 fighter aircrafts were scrambled from McCord Air Force Base and followed behind the airliner. One above it and one below it out of Cooper's view. A Lockheed T-33 trainer, tr trainer diverted from an unrelated Air National Guard mission also shouted the 727 before running low on fuel and turning back near the Oregon-California state line. Overall, there were five planes in total trailing the hijacked plane. None of the pilots saw him jump or could pinpoint a location where he would have landed. Mm. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit <laughs> scared what Kennedy. Was it was upstairs. Your upstairs neighbor dropped something. Shut up, bitch. Dropped something heavy. Um, that was very loud. That was loud, yeah. Anyways, um, so he told the flight attendant to go and get into the cockpit with the pilots. Um, and so before she did, she went inside. She saw him trying to tie something around his waist. Approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. So he lowered the staircase. The crew's offer of assistance via the aircraft's intercom system was curtly refused, and the crew noticed a subjective change of air pressure, indicating that the aft door was open. At 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement significant enough to require trimming to bring the plane back to a level flight. At approximately 10.15 p.m., the aircraft's aft air stair was still deployed when Scott and uh, Radichak landed the 727 at Reno Airport. FBI agents and state troopers, sheriff deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not yet been determined with certainty that Cooper was no longer aboard, but an armed search quickly confirmed his absence. Could, so could they get, not get out of the cockpit once they were in there? He told them to stay in there. Yeah, that's true. Also, back then, they didn't have uh, portholes. Yeah. So it was just like a door. You can't see through it. Okay. Now, that because of this, they have required it yeah. to have some uh, people. <clears throat> so FBI agents recovered 66 unidentified latent fingerprints on board the airliner. Uh, they found his black clip-on tie and two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened, and two uh, suspension lines were cut from its uh, canopy. Authorities interviewed eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno, uh, and all who personally interacted with Cooper, uh, a series of composite sketches were developed. Um, I'll show you the picture, but it's uh, very men in black, but I don't know how this was supposed to help anybody. In 1971. Yes. <laughs> Okay. The, the, this is all police sketches of, of people who were like, oh, this is what he looks like. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Kennedy. Stop making noises. Yeah, that looks like 
men in black. N- I mean, it's nothing. <laughs> Average white man wearing yeah. sunglasses. Um, so the local police and FBI agents immediately ban- began questioning possible sus- suspects, and among them considered more than 800. Uh, of these, all but two dozen were eliminated from the investigation. An Oregon man named D.B. Cooper, who had a minor police record, was one of the first persons of interest in the case. <laughs> he was contracted by Portland police, and off the off chance the hijacker had used his real name or the same alias in a previous crime, he was quickly ruled out, though, as a suspect because a local reporter named James Long, rushing to meet an imminent deadline, confused the eliminated suspect's name with the pseudonym used by the hijacker. His name... The hijacker used the name Dan Cooper. Mm-hmm. But this reporter was like, looked at the first suspect, saw his name was D.B. Cooper. So yeah. That's why D.B. Cooper is the the name that they use. But in actuality, when he signed up for his flight, he used the name Dan Cooper. Um, so oh, they used, he went after a name that did not, was not real. Real. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, cool. A precise search area was difficult to define even, uh, as even small differences in estimates of the aircraft's speed or the environmental conditions along the fire pla- uh, flight, pla- fight. F- fight pla- pla- flight path, there you go. which varied significantly by location and altitude, changed Cooper's projected landing point considerably because it was raining, it was dark, dark. <laughs> it was windy. Yeah. And they were flying at weird. They were also flying over the mountains. Seattle to Me- Mexico City is you're literally following the Rockies from Canada to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, and they're flying at ten thousand feet at one hundred and fifty-one miles an hour, yeah. which is slow. Slow as fuck. Because uh, normally flights fly like thirty four or five feet. times. Yeah, thirty thousand feet plus like four or five times faster. Probably five hundred miles an yeah. hour. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he blew to blue and blue, blue, blue. How did that airline? Well, I guess if it was a small plane, it could fly that fast. But I mean, some of those big. It's a seven twenty seven. So it's big. Boeing seven twenty seven. Wow. It's a commercial passenger airline. Yeah. It's probably not the biggest. I think it's yeah. probably a two seater on both sides, or like a two rows. But I mean, it's bigger than a tiny little like commuter jet. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, so, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he, it was an important variable was the length of time that he remained in free file before he actually pulled his ripcord. If he succeeded in opening a parachute at all, neither the Air Force fighter pilot saw anything exit the airliner, either visually or on radar, or they didn't either see a uh, parachute open. Mm-hmm. It was night. So even though there was a flight above it, below it, and you said three other ones, they still didn't. See, well, it's also nighttime, so yeah. and, and it's one like of them, a tiny person yeah. jumping out. So one of them stopped. Okay, mid, so there was four. There yeah. was four, okay. and um, he had left the staircase open for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So they just had him in watching it intently to see if anybody came down it. Yeah. Um. So the T thirty three pilots actually never made visual contact with the seven twenty seven. But at also, all. I mean, you're you can't follow a plane that well. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a pilot. But, I mean, the idea no. of, like, following behind it... No? Uh, following behind it that closely at nighttime, you're not going to see a tiny person jump out of a fucking commercial plane. No. Like, it's... Because you're not going to deploy the uh, the parachute until you're, like, 3,000... I don't know how, how close. 3,000 feet down. I mean, you're going to follow quite a bit. 
Because, like, I jumped out of an airplane at 14,000 feet for skydiving, and I don't remember when he deployed the parachute. So it was low. But, I mean, they're not going to see it. Yeah. And I don't think you can follow a plane that closely anyway. Yeah. I don't know. And a person is not easy to see, regardless of where they're wearing black at night. Yeah. Uh, so, in an experimental recreation, Scott piloted the aircraft using the hijacking in the same flight configuration. It was also on autopilot, so they know exactly which what the flight path was. They mm-hmm. didn't take a weird one. Um, FBI agents pushing a 200-pound sled out of an open-air stair were able to reproduce an upward motion of the tail section described by the flight crew at 8.13 p.m. Based on the experiment, it was concluded that 8.13 was the most likely time of the jump. At the moment, the aircraft was flying through a heavy rainstorm over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington State. Uh, initial extrapolations... Wait, Washington State is when he jumped out? Yeah. So he jumped out very soon into this flight. He did. Wow. Yeah. Um, initial expra- extrapolations placed Cooper's landing zone within an area of the southernmost reach of Mount St. Helens, a few miles southeast of Ariel, Washington, near Lake Merwin, an artifact lake formed uh, by the dam on the Lewis River. Search efforts focused on Clark and Colwitz counties, Cowlitz counties, encompassing the terrain immediately south and north, respectively, of the Lewis River and the southwest Washington. Uh, FBI agents and sheriff's deputies from those counties searched large areas of the mountainous wilderness on foot and by helicopter. Door-to-door searches of local farmhouses were also carried out, other parties ran patrol boats along Lake Merwin and Yale Lake, the reservoir immediately to its east. No trace of Cooper, nor of any of the equipment, nor the money, were found. Okay. If he had left the aircraft at all. Yeah. That's what they say. Um, the, the FBI also coordinated an aerial search using fixed-wing aircraft and helicopters from the Oregon Army National Guard. Uh, along the entire flight path, flight path known as Victor 23 in standard aviation terminology, but Vector 3 in the Cooper literature, from Seattle to Reno. Although numerous broken treetops and several pieces of plastic and other uh, objects resembling parachute canopies were sighted and investigated, nothing relevant to the hijacking was found. Shortly after the spring thaw and early in 1972, a team of FBI agents aided by some 200 Army soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with Air Force personnel, National Guardsmen, and civilian volunteers, conducted another thorough ground search of Clark and Cowlitz counties for 18 days in March, and then an additional 18 days in April. Electronic explorations company, a marine salvage firm, used submarine to search the 200-foot feet, uh, 200 foot depths of Lake Merwin. Two in lo- case he landed in there and died? Yeah. <laughs> okay. They dredged the lake, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, two local women stumbled upon a skeleton in an abandoned structure in Clark County. It was later identified as the remains of a female teenager that had been abducted and murdered several weeks before. So <laughs> there is a murder and a murder. Murder and what a mystery. Uh, hey, we found this person who had died. Surprise. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank God we were out here looking. Yeah, we found this murder victim. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So it was arguably one of the most extensive and intensive uh, recovery op- search and recovery operations in U.S. history, and it uh, uncovered it be. no material. Wow. Um, so months after the hijacking, the FBI distributed its, its list of the random serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted significant cash transactions. 
and the law enforcement agencies around the world. Northwest Orient offered 15% uh, of the re recovered money as a reward uh, to a maximum of $25,000. Please give us our money. We'll, we'll give, give you, you $25,000. Yeah. We want to recover $200,000, but we'll give, give you twenty five. Yeah. Uh, if I found two hundred thousand dollars, I'd be like, <laughs> "What a what a coincidence!" <laughs> Where but you'd have to turn it in because they have the numbers. Mm. So you're right. Damn it, twenty five thousand is better than nothing. Yes, yeah. also better than being accused of hijacking a fucking plane. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, nineteen seventy two, U.S. General U.S. Attorney General John N. Mitchell released the serial numbers to the general public. 1972, two men used counterfeit $20 bills printed with Cooper serial numbers to swindle $30,000 from a Newsweek reporter named Carl Fleming in exchange for an interview with the man they falsely claimed was the hijacker. Mm. 1973, the ransom money is still missing. Oregon Journal republished the serial numbers and offered $1,000 to the first person to turn in a ransom bill to the newspaper or any FBI field office. Just one. You just need one bill. Yep. <laughs> Do it. So I'm sure everybody was looking in their wallets. <laughs> Big money, big money, big money. No way, Big money, big money. That's better than lottery. You have lots of chances. You because you said twenty dollar bills. You have ten thousand chances. chances. Well, I mean, how many twenty dollar bills are there in the states? Shh. <laughs> like twenty thousand. <laughs> um, who uses cash? <laughs> no, they use a card. Not well, well, in the seventy one seventies. They use a check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, checks, checks, and. Uh, cash only. Um, blue, blue, blue. In Seattle, the Post Intelligencer made a similar offer of $5,000. The offers remained in effect till Thanksgiving 1974, though there were uh, several near matches. No general, genuine bills were found. Well, imagine being one off and you're like, damn it! Right. <laughs> I got it! Oh, sorry, that's not Aww. a bingo. <laughs> you're one off. Fuck! <laughs> Uh, 1975, Northwest Orient's insurer, Global Indemnity Company, compiled with an order from the Minnesota Supreme Court, paid the airlines $180,000, or, yeah, $180,000, yeah, why is that number so hard? $180,000 claim for the ransom money. What? <laughs> why was that hard? I was trying to do 18000 some. I don't know. 18 million. 1800000 <laughs> Uh, later, uh, subsequent analysis conducted, uh, the original landing zone estimate was inaccurate. Scott, who was flying the aircraft manually because of Cooper's airspeed and altitude, altitude demands, later determined that the flight path was... Oh, my God. Why flight can you not say that? <laughs> is the hardest word to say. <laughs> flight path. <laughs> um, significantly farther east than initially assumed. Additional data from the variety of sources, in particular the Continental Airlines pilot Tom Bohan, who was flying four minutes behind 305, indicated that the wind direction factored into the drop zone's calculation had been wrong, possibly by as much as 80 degrees. This and other supplemental data suggested that the actual drop zone was probably south southeast of the original estimate in the drainage area. A lot. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, because he's flying it himself. He's yeah. Doing, he, I mean, he's following the autopilot track, but he's doing the actual flying. Yeah. Um, thought that it would be in a drainage area of the Washougal River. So in uh, 
2016. Wow. The FBI announced that it was finally suspending the active investigation of the Cooper case, citing a need for focus on its investigative resources and manpower on issues of higher and more urgent priority. Local field offices continued to accept any legitimate physical evidence related to this related specifically to the parachutes or the ransom money that may emerge in the future. Are they still looking for the serial numbers of the money? Mm-hmm. Wow. So they did find some of it. Oh. Um, so we'll get into some of the evidence here. Okay. Uh, official vis- physical description of Cooper has remained unchanged and is considered reliable. Uh, flight attendants Schaffner and Mucklow, who spent the most time with Cooper, were interviewed in the same night in separate cities and gave nearly identical descriptions. 5 foot 10 to 5 foot 11, 170 to 180 pounds, mid-40s, with a close-set piercing brown eyes and swarthy skin. Only four pieces What does of, that mean? Swarthy skin? Like, d- darker. Yeah. More tan than you and I. Okay. But... Would never gotten that one. I would just... Yeah. It's like a pirate. Yeah. Pi- <laughs> Pirates are usually swarthy. He's tan-ish. He's an air pirate. <laughs> um, four pieces of evidence, two definite and two potential linked to D.B. Cooper have been turned in uh, between 1978 and 2017. That's a long period of time. And That's it happened in 1971. Years. Yeah. So there was more than seven years, years before yeah. any evidence actually came about. 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of the 19 or the 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington, well north of Lake Merwin, but within Flight 305's basic flight. In February 1980, 80, uh, eight-year-old Overy Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family in, on the Columbia River at a beachfront known as Tina Bar. <laughs> Um, which is a great drag name. <laughs> uh, please, welcome to the stage. Tina Make lots, Bar. lots of noise for Tina Bar. <laughs> She's addicted to crystal meth. I hope so. Um, <laughs> about nine miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington, and 20 miles southwest of Ariel, he uncovered three packets of the ransom cash as he raked the sandy riverbanks to build a fire camp. Wait, Vancouver is further north than Seattle? No. Vancouver, Canada is. Well, Vancouver is in both Washington and Seattle, isn't it? Or, I'm sorry, Washington and Canada. I'm Vancouver is sure. like a, a, a city that straddles the border, right? I might be wrong. Please tell me if I'm wrong. I think you might be wrong. Probably. I just assumed that since it's so close to the border, it's like a border city. It is not. It's not? No, it's okay, in I'm South wrong. Washington. It's right north of Portland. Oh, okay. It's like a suburb of Portland. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so the bills were significantly disintegrated, but uh, still bundled by rubber bands. FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Two packets of $120 bills each and a third packet of 90 all arranged in the same order as when given to Cooper. In 1986, after protracted negotiations, the recovered bills were divided equally between Ingram and Northwest Orient's insurer. The FBI retained 14 examples as evidence. Ingram sold 15 of his bills at auction in 2008 for about $37,000. He sold how many for $37,000? 15. 15 $20 bills, which is $3,000 for $37,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he made a... 
10 times profit off of that. Yep. And he was eight in 1980, and he sold them in 2008. Oh, so he was much older. What the fuck? Uh, to date, none of the 9,710 remaining bills have turned up anywhere in the world. Their serial numbers remain available online for public search. Uh, the Columbia River ransom money and the air stair instruction placards remain only confirmed physical evidence from the hijacking ever found outside the aircraft. So he stole this money <coughs> but never spent it. Yep. Or he spent it in countries that are not in the United States. Because there are yes. countries that you can exchange. But they would find they would find some way of getting back to the States, That's I'd imagine. That's true, yeah. Because, um, like, I mean, if, if, like, for example, when I was in South Africa, the, a lot of the tourist shops would accept U.S. dollars because they'd go and yeah. turn it in. So Anywhere that's, in Canada, it's you never can been, use U.S. dollars. Yeah. So it's never been turned in. So, which is my conclusion, but I'll get to that. At the okay. End. Uh, 2017, a group of volunteer <clears throat> investigators uncovered what they believe to be a potential evidence, what appears to be decades-old parachute strap in the Pacific Northwest. This was followed later in 2017 with a piece of foam suspected of being part of Cooper's backpack. Um, 2007, the FBI announced that the partial DNA profile, which had been obtained from the three organic samples found on Cooper's clip-on tie in 2001, uh, though they later acknowledged that there was no evidence that the hijacker was the source of the sample material. The tie had two small DNA samples and one large sample, said Special Agent Fred Gutt. It's difficult to draw firm conclusions from these samples. The Bureau also made a public file of previously unreleased evidence, including Cooper's 1971 plane ticket, price $20, paid in cash, <laughs> and posted previously unreleased composite sketches and fact sheets, along with a request to the general public for information which might lead to Cooper's positive identification. Uh, they disclosed that Cooper chose the older of the two primary chutes supplied to him rather than technically superior professional sport parachute and that and that from the two parachute reserves he selected a dummy an unusable unit with an inoperative ripcord intended for classroom dis, uh, demonstrations although it had clear markings identifying it to, as to any experienced skydiver as non-functional he cannibalized the other functional reserve parachute, possibly using its shroud to tie the money to the bags shut and secure the bag to his body as witnessed by Mukla. The FBI stressed that the inclusion of the dummy reserve parachute, one of the four obtained in haste from Seattle Skydiving School, was accidental. March okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> March 2009, the FBI disclosed that Tom Kay, a paleontologist from Burke Museum of Natural History and Culture in Seattle, had assembled a team of citizen sleuths, including scientific illustrator Carol um, and metallurgist Alan Stone. Uh, the group, eventually known as the Cooper Research Team, reinvestigated the important components of the case using GPS, satellite imagery, imagery and other technologies available in 19, unavailable in 1970. So they decided they were going to go sleuthing for bones, essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like Redditors. Okay. I'm into it. Um, although the new information was gained regarding the Marriott ransom money or Cooper's landing zone, they were able to find and analyze hundreds of minutes of particles on Cooper's tie using electron microscopy. Microscopy. Uh, lycopodium spores, likely from a pharmaceutical product, were identified, as well as fragments of bismuth and aluminum. 
In November 2011, Kay announced that particles of pure, unalloyed titanium had also been found on the tie. He explained that titanium, which was much rarer in the 70s than in the 2010s, was at that time only found in the metal fabrication or production facilities at chemical companies using it, combined with aluminum, to store extremely corrosive substances. The findings suggested that Cooper may have been a chemist or metallurgist, or possibly an engineer or manager, the only employees who wore ties at such facilities at the time, in a medical or chemical manufacturing plant. Or the company had recovered, uh, or at a company that recovered scra uh, scrap metals from those types of factories. So, those are all the evidences. Okay. Um, in 2017, they, the National Enquirer and FBI agents, uh, tied it to um, a guy named, oh shit, I didn't write his name down, Robert something. But how? <laughs> well. Especially after 40 something years after this has happened, 45 years after, 46 years after it's happened. They're just like, oh, this is it. We decided. Well, this guy is like, he was um, a, a U.S. Army soldier mm -hmm. named Robert Rackstraw. Uh, he had this the wherewithal and the knowledge of how to jump out of a plane like that. And um, he knew the kind of things to say to the FBI to get them to get these yeah, bills. Yeah, but to have them. they recovered any bills? Like, I mean, the, they're obviously still with him or somewhere, like... Yep. Anyway, they ask this guy, Robert Rackstraw, and he's like, maybe I did. Mm-hmm. But he never said he did. Yeah. And he's dead now, so... Oh, well, we don't have any answers. Then. So, my theory is that he died. Yeah. I think he out. died on the way out. Um, I think that he... I don't think he was someone who knew how to jump out of a plane... Uh, I think he knew he obviously knew the construction of the aircraft. So he knew something about the aircrafts, but the question is he didn't understand he should have known I don't even think he needed to know that much about the construction of the aircraft. All he needed to know is this plane has an exit in the back. You're right. Exactly. You are right. So I mean, simple as that is it, it can I leave through the back and can I force them all to go in the cockpit and you know not worry about that? Um, but yeah, I mean, he could have jumped out of the plane and died. I think he jumped out of the plane and died because it's very easy to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you hit one tree on the way down. Yeah. And you die. And Especially, he's doing it in the Pacific Northwest, which, which is, is only all trees. trees. Exactly. Cause I mean, hitting that ground, even with a parachute, um, I mean, when I skydove, skydove, is that a term now? It mm -hmm. is. Um, I mean, I was attached to a experienced skydiver and I had to pick up, like, my entire body, like, basically curl in, like, a fetal position to make sure I have all my limbs together. And he landed. And, like, I, like, landed basically on top of him. Uh, I mean, he slid into it. So if you're not landing on flat ground, you're probably going to die. So, I don't know. I think he died. Yeah, I think he died, too. I also question because, whether or not... I mean, in the 70s, I imagine, if you did not have any experience or were not in the military mm -hmm. with parachuting... You were probably just like, you jump out of the plane and then you just like float down to earth. Yeah. And there's also a question of, did he just, he could have just thrown the, like put the um, what bag of money essentially into a parachute and let that go and hope that that would do something. And then he just jumped out of the plane. Well, I think and he was trying to deliver money. She to saw him 
trying to tie it to himself. So I uh, think he tried to tie it to himself, okay. but it probably slipped because he was going so Didn't fast. Work. Yeah. Um, and you know, some of it got away. Mm-hmm. He probably landed further south from where they found that money. Yeah. But um, I mean, you land in the middle of nowhere in the middle of those woods in Pacific North Northwest. You're yeah. never going to be found. Even if you're not dead on your mm-hmm. way in, you break your legs. You can't go anywhere. There's bears and shit. <laughs> yeah. You don't die. Or even just sitting in the middle of the woods without legs, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. A major and, head wound. And your body's never going to be found. You're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. You're dead. Yeah. So that's the tale of D.B. Cooper. Wow. I love that. Isn't that amazing? It's, it, and it's not even a murder. It's just like a fancy, a like, here we are. A crime. It's like Ocean's Eleven. Welcome to our true crime podcast. I mean, <laughs> bitch. Bitch. We we know shit. Sorry. You got stuck. We're good. Okay. Okay. You want to hear something else, Spoopy? I do. I'm going to tell you about the murder of the Black Dahlia. Have you heard about why this? Why she got to be black? Oh. I'll tell you why, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have obviously heard about this because I told Spencer, I was like, hey, I'm going to do this just because it's going to be really quick and fast. Because, okay, so earlier today I was Googling, um, like, I was looking through, like, wild murder mystery, like, kind of shit. Um, And one of them showed up that was, like, the Black Dahlia. And all the rest of them besides the Black Dahlia were, like, three or four paragraphs. And Black Dahlia was only one. So, like, oh, that's easy. I'll just do that one. So, that's what I decided on. Um, It's... There's a lot it's of information. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. A so uh, a lot of a lot of this is copied from Wikipedia. So don't attack me for plagiarism. Here we are. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to our podcast. Um, so the Black Dahlia, also known as Elizabeth Short, was born on July 29th of 1924 in Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts. The th- uh, she was the third of five daughters of Cleo and Phoebe May Short. Um, around 1970. Damn it. 1927, the Short family relocated to Portland, Maine, before settling in Medford, Medford, Massachusetts, uh, which is a Boston suburb uh, the same year. This is the same year that Short was raised and spent most of her life. I love that, like, towns in the 20s and 40s called Medford sound so, like, that's what they're supposed to be called. <laughs> it's like, this is normal. You're the middle of nowhere. I'm from Woodbridge. <laughs> middle of yep. nowhere in the 1920s. I'm sorry. Um, Short's father, this is side, not necessary, but also necessary. Short's father built a miniature golf course, uh, into built miniature golf courses until 1929 when the stock market crashed, uh, when he then lost most of his savings and the family became broke in 1930. Her father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston bridge. And it was assumed that he had committed suicide by jumping into the Charles river, believing her husband was uh, deceased. Short's mother moved with her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to support them. Troubled by bronchitis and severe asthma attacks, Elizabeth underwent lung surgery at the age of 15. So age of 15, that means she was that was in the 1944. I'm like lung surgery in 1944? They did eye surgery then too. Lord, that is struggling. And all the good doctors were at war. Yeah. 
It's like that, that is that is struggles. All right, listen. I'm a barber, but I'm also your doctor. Here what I am. we're gonna do today is we're gonna rip open your insides we and got get the, you a whole new lung. All right. So we sit got this down. butter knife, and we're gonna see what the fuck it happens. Have a shot of bourbon. <laughs> we don't have any anesthetic. This is the same time that they were doing uh, lobotomies too. So. It's a two-for-one special. Yeah. You want to get a lobotomy today? I'll do the lobotomy, and then I'll perform surgery. <laughs> See if you feel it. That way you don't scream. Yeah. So uh, after that, the doctor suggests that she relocates to a milder cli- climate. Climate. Why is that three? Flight <laughs> Yeah. Climate. It's apparently multiple syllables. Um, climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Short's mother then sent her to spend winters in Miami. With family friends. It's pronounced Miami. Okay. <laughs> Milady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, during the next three years, Short lived in Florida during the winter months and then spent the rest of her year in Medford with her mother and sisters. In her sophomore year, Short dropped out of Medford High School. Wait, sophomore year? 15? 16? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, summer. No, she was only spending the winter months in Florida. Okay, we're good. Um, in 1942, Short's mother received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband, which revealed that he was in fact alive and had started a new life in California. So Los Angeles. Surprise! Um, in December, at the age of 18, Short relocated to Vallejo to live with her father. Vallejo. There's two L's. It's pronounced Vallejo, though. That's fine. Whom she had not seen since she was six years old. At the time, he was working at the nearby uh, Mare Island Naval Shipyard on San Francisco Bay. So there was San Francisco, um, basically. Uh, arguments between Short and her father led to her moving out in January of 1943. Um, wait, that math doesn't add up. When was she born? Oh, 1924. 1924. This is 1929. Okay, we're good. Uh, that means my earlier math was not normal. Um, <laughs> not incorrect, but just yeah. not normal. Yeah, just not normal. Uh, shortly after, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook, uh, now Vanderburg Air Force Base, near Lompoc, uh, living with several friends and briefly with an Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. Do you know how many people lived in this fucking apartment? How many? Fifteen girls. Oh, I didn't read that. I'm yeah. glad you knew that. There was a ton of them all in one fucking... Okay. Well, they were all living together. Because they were also known as, like, kind of call girls. Yeah. Escorts. Yeah, we've... Yeah. There's more on that. <laughs> Go there. Surprise. Um, Short left Lompoc in mid-1943 and moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested in, uh, September, on September 23rd of 1943 for underage drinking at a local bar. <gasps> no. No. Not underage drinking. Just wag, finger wag. Uh, 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 uh. Well, she's probably 17. Um, no, she was over 18. When was the drinking age under 21? Apparently in 1943. Up until the 70s, it was like 18. She was born in 1924. This is 1943. So she's drinking gin and getting with men. Yeah, she's 19. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's happening in this world? (laughs) Just letting go to shit in the middle of World War II. Girl. (gasps) You can't say shit. Oh, why? Because we're acting like 1940s people. Oh, yeah, see, how dare you? Let me tell you something about uh, Calabasas uh, in the summer. Here we are in Santa Barbara. The troops back home. We're going to support our troops. We're going to Victory Garden. I love that. Terrible. Back on the home front. Back, 
down Japanese the, people down in the trenches. Oh, wait, no. They didn't have trenches in World War II. Did they have trenches in World War II? I mean, they always have trenches. It's just not trench warfare. Yeah. Trench warfare was World War One, right? Yeah. Mustard I don't know gas. history. Mustard gas. Gas made out of mustard. <laughs> Do you like jazz fingers? Mustard gas. <laughs> it's yellow. <laughs> yeah. The, the juvenile authorities sent her back to Medford. So she got arrested in Santa Barbara, and they were like, hey. Where you were drinking? Go back to fucking Maine. Why don't you go go back to your mom? She'll be yeah, very or unhappy. Maine, Massachusetts. Yeah, seriously. Just get out of here. They couldn't just like put her on a flight. Did they drive her back there? Like No, they were like, leave. Yeah. <laughs> just get out of here. We'll trust that you leave and go back to Medford. No, get they it? sent a, a letter to her mom. That took you two to three weeks to, her, to get there. Like, when did said, commercial air flights Please get your daughter home. <laughs> Commercial air flights were like what in the sixties? That was like the... no late forties. No way. Uh huh. Okay, maybe. I believe it. Listen, <laughs> I um. You trying to be a flight attendant? I've seen some things. <laughs> I've read. I know. So <laughs> I saw Mildred Pierce starring Joan Crawford. Did America even have that much money to be able to do that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Not forty four. Forty three. Oh, absolutely not. We're in the middle of the war. We're, they were like, funneling everything in nuclear bombs. You want new tires or shoes? We got bombs. Make them out of wood. <laughs> we got too much nukes happening. Calm down. Mm. I love that. So so now she's back in Massachusetts. Um, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> they tried to send her back to Medford. No, it's Medford, Massachusetts. Um, but she instead went to Florida, only occasionally visiting Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um, then, so this is for three years that she's like, I'm in Florida again, but I'm going back to Massachusetts back and forth. Um, then she decided to move to Los Angeles in July of 1946 to visit the Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling. Um, Such a whom, sexy last name. Yeah. Fickling. Fickling. Uh, whom she had known from Florida. Fickling was stationed at the Naval Reserve Air Force Base Air Base in Long Beach. Um, Short spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in the Los Angeles area. Shortly before her death, she had been working as a waitress and rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. 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 Uh, Shortly, I'm sorry, Short had been variously described and depicted as an aspiring or quote unquote would be actress. Uh, according to some sources, she did, in fact, have aspirations to be a film star, though she had no known acting jobs or credits. They said that she was so beautiful. She actually was pretty. She was pretty. Yeah. But she had those stupid 40s brows. Yeah. That she like also had that 1950s pencil. haircut that's like the poofy, like... Victory uh, curls. Yeah. Vic- there you go. Victory curls. I love that. I loved yeah. everything about it except the eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, she was pretty, but also those harsh eyebrows, it was it, that was common. The, the yeah. women that did not no. do... Look at Joan Crawford. She big had pretty th- eyebrows. She had thick eyebrows, too. Yeah. Elizabeth Short had tiny, thin little eyebrows. Oh, no way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on. These ones here? Those aren't that's tiny, not thin. Right oh, okay. Well, that's what's on... It was short in 1946, so... Uh, there's... Oops. Um... Well, I'm a page in. Do you want to get to the murder? Because we, I still have oh, seven yeah. pages after this. 
It's the same picture. Very similar picture. They're not yeah, super Yeah, look thin. at her eyebrows. They're not... They look like mine. And they're straight. No, they don't. Do they Most like... of that's the shadow of her eye. Okay, makeup artist, I'm sorry. Can you keep on fucking reading? <laughs> so let's get to the murders. So on January 9th of 1947, Short returned to her home in Los Angeles after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley. On 20 I love that Ooh, the fact manly. that all of them have like a name in quotation marks. Like why don't we give people nicknames anymore? Like that stick. I want it to be like a Spencer dumb bitch spent I was, I want 40s nicknames. Yeah. My name would be uh Spencer uh Spats. Spats. <laughs> I want to be squeaky. Can I be squeaky? You can be squeaky. Okay. Chris Squeaky White. <laughs> that just reminds me of the Manson family. Squeaky from. I saw an <laughs> article about her. It's okay. I don't want to be squeaky anymore. I want to be pissy. Christopher Pissy White. <laughs> I'm changing mine. Mine's okay. Boots. Boots. <laughs> Spencer Boots Smith. Hey I love Boots. That. I told Some you. Boots. That's Those nicknames are like my... Aunt, my great aunt, yeah. and my... I mean, people had Winky nicknames. Winky and like, Bootsy. Yeah, yeah. I love that. She's called Winky because she just winked a lot. <laughs> uh, she was a slut, honey. <laughs> no. Uh, All she did was wink. That's it. I can only blink with one eye. <laughs> she just had a minor tremor in her left side. <laughs> so <Terrible>. Winky. <laughs> well, Manly was apparently a 25-year-old... Um, Salesman that she had been dating. Oh, married salesman. Oh. Oh, my God. I was like, did I write that wrong? No, that's right. Um, the drama. So Manley stated that he had dropped short off at the Biltmore Hotel locating, located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles and that short was to meet her sister who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts, staff of the Biltmore recalled Lee having seen short using the lobby telephone shortly after she was allegedly seen by patrons of the crown grill cocktail lounge at 754 south olive street approximately approximately one half of a mile away from the biltmore hotel on the morning of january 15th of 1947 so this is six days later um short's naked body was found severed into two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and the West 39th Street in Lamert Park, Los Angeles. At the time, the neighborhood was largely undeveloped. Local resident Betty Bersinger discovered the body at approximately 10 a.m. while walking her three-year-old daughter and initially thought that she had found a discarded sore mannequin. Yep. When she realized it was a corpse, she rushed to a nearby nearby house and telephoned the police. Uh, shortly, Short's severely mutilated body was completely dis, uh, completely severed at the waist and drained of blood, leaving her skin pallid white. So at the scene, there was no blood found. Yep. So like it was just two body parts. Nice. Yes. Medical examiners determined that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to discovery, leaving her time of death either somewhere in the evening of January 14th or the early mornings of January 15th. The body had apparently been washed by the killer. Short's face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth, 
up to her ears, creating an effect known as the Glasgow, Glasgow smile. smile. Yeah. Uh, she had several cuts on her thigh and her breast where an entire portion of the flesh had been sliced away. So some reports, so Wikipedia said it was some flesh. Other reports said she had one boob missing. So there's two, two different stories there. Um, the lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper and her intestines had been tucked away neatly beneath her buttocks. The court's, corpse had been posed with her hands over her head, her elbows bent at right angles, and her legs spread apart. Upon the discovery, a crowd of both passerby and reporters began to gather. Los Angeles Herald Express reporter Angie Underwood, no, Aggie Underwood, I'm sorry, was among the first to arrive at the scene, and several took, photo, took several photos of the corpse and crime scene. Yep. Near the body, detectives located a heel print on the ground amid the tire tracks, and a cement sack containing watery blood was also found nearby. I just love that, like, 1945, people are like, Come on, Anne! There's a dead body a down dead on body Grand nearby. Avenue. Let's Surprise. go see. It's like uh, the fact that the lady was like, "Oh my god, I found a, a mannequin." Oh, it's not. I'm gonna go call someone. I picture her going like this. How strange! Oh my god! <laughs> oh no, my child! And covers her eyes. Dude, like, no. All dramatic, like. <laughs> she has a parasol and she just puts it in front of me. No, don't look. Yeah, exactly. Help, guards! I want to interview that three-year-old now, which is not three years old. She's she is uh, yeah, uh, seventy. 90, yeah, 90. seventy something. Um, it was this was nineteen forty-seven, so she was eighty-nine. No, well, I guess seventy, eighty. Yeah, she would be in her seventies. Calm down. Um, an autopsy. She's of, old. <laughs> she's a fucking old bitch. Uh, <laughs> also, what is she gonna be like? Yeah, I remember. It was great. I played with um, my rattle that morning. Roxy Andrews remember, remembers being left at a bus stop when she was three. So, oh my God. It's so <laughs> sad. <laughs> I try to be so strong, but I'm so weak. I think about Roxy Andrews every day at the bus stop. <laughs> That's the I best joke on RuPaul's Drag Race. God, fucking Katya. She's I think about Roxy Andrews every single day when I'm at the bus stop. Oh my god. A solid bitch. I love that. Welcome to All Stars 2. If you haven't watched All Stars 2 of RuPaul's Drag Race, that shit's what, lit. That is the best season. The best season. Easily. Um, okay. Uh, an autopsy of Short's body was performed on January 16th of 1940. When was this? When did this happen? This was January 15th. So... The next day, the autopsy was performed, uh, which found that there were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, which indicate that she was cuffed, um, an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. I mean, they fucking cut it off. Um, also noted were superficial lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of the chest. Um, her body had been cut completely in half by a technique taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy. So, cutting a corpse in half. Yeah. Why do they need a name for that? There, I don't know. Why don't you just say, what, cut it and split it? I guess it's for like a 
like funeral directors maybe i hope so why morticians what do they need to cut it in half for i don't know the bottom part of this is looking real bad let's yeah, just take let's it cut off. it off cut off cover it with a sheet we'll see if she's sleeping well it's also in the middle of world war Two. after world war Two. so like we could use the bones for just a bomb cut off the bottom part and see if he lives um the lower half of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the duodenum. Mm-hmm. So, like, duodenum's, like, underneath your stomach. So it was cut, like, right underneath your ribcage. Um, With medical-grade precision. Honestly. Like, someone has to fucking know this. Mm-hmm. Um, the report noted very little ecchymosis, which means bruising, along the incision line, suggesting this happened after she died. Another gaping laceration measured from uh, four and a four and a quarter inches in length ran from longitudinally from the ubiquitous, uh, I'm sorry, umbilicus, which is your belly button, um, to the suprapubic region, so just above your groin. Um, the lacerations uh, on each side of the face, which extended from the corners of the lips, were measured at three inches on the right side and two and a quarter. I'm sorry, two and a half on the left. The skull was not fractured, but there were bruising noted on the front and right side of her scalp, with a small amount of bleeding in the uh, supra superarachnoid space on the right side, consistent with blows to the head. The cause of death was determined to be the hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and the shock from blows to the head and face. So basically, she died from bleeding when they cut her fucking cheeks open. Um, uh, Newbar noted uh, Newbar is the medical examiner noted that Short's anal canal was dilated at 1.3 I'm sorry 1 and 3 quarters inches suggest, suggesting that she may have been raped um, samples were taken from her body testing for presence of sperm but the re- results came back negative this was also in 1947 so what are you going to get? they just do a swab up there and look at the color mm, no uh, <laughs> priority prior damn it Prior to the autopsy, police had quickly been able to identify the victim as short after sending copies of her fingerprints to Washington, D.C. via sound photo, a primitive fax machine uh, of the era, and the prints matched those given by short during her 1943 arrest. Immediately following Short's identification, reporters from William Randolph's William Randolph Hearst, Los Angeles Examiner, so a newspaper, contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her her daughter had won a beauty contest. I thought this was fucked up. Um, he was like, hey. Your daughter, your daughter's won- so beautiful. She, she won this contest. She sounds that great. It was only after much prying for personal information, uh, as much as they could, from Phoebe, that the re- reporters were like, just kidding. She's dead. She died. Uh, brutally. She's brutally dead. Um, you want to see pictures? We got those. Yeah, we got plenty of those. The newspaper offered to pay for her airfare and accommodations if she would travel to Los Angeles to help with the police investigation. Surprise! It was a ploy. Uh, since the newspaper kept her away from police and other reporters for the scoop. Yep. You fucking kidding me? They flew this woman from fucking Massachusetts to Los Angeles and were like, just kidding. We're going to quarantine you. You can't go anywhere. Surprise. Fuck you. Um, the Examiner and other Hearst and another Hearst newspaper, the Los Angeles Herald Express, uh, later sensationalized the case with one order article from the examiner describing the black tailored suit short was last seen wearing as a tight skirt and a sheer blouse. Uh, the media nick the media nicknamed her as the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventuress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. So they were painting her as a slut. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the additional newspaper reports, such as one published by the Los Angeles Times on January of nineteen, I'm sorry, January seventeenth, deemed the murder a sex fiend slang. After the media took a nosedive into the story, reports came in from all over claiming to be the killer. On January twenty first of nineteen forty seven, a claim a person claimed to be the to be Schwartz's killer placed the phone call to the office of the editor of the Examiner, congratulating on the newspaper's coverage of the case, and stated that he planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him further. Additionally, the caller told Richardson, the Examiner person, uh, newspaper person, uh, to expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. On January 24th, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker. The envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. That was the quote. Uh, with individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow. The envelope com- contained Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Henson embossed on the cover. Mark Henson was the guy that she was apparently seeing. Seeing, um, the pack, the packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similar to Short's body, which led police to suspect that the packet had been sent directly by the killer. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the FBI uh, for testing. However, the prints were com- compromised in transit and thus could not be analyzed. Surprise. <laughs> How does gasoline clean things? Well, gasoline is an uh, organic substance, and so it's a polar substance. So it, it will clean other polar substances of your body. It will dissolve your body. What? Yeah, it dissolves DNA. Surprise. <laughs> Should I be cleaning the house with gasoline? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> you will clean lots of things very effectively. It's a very harsh chemical. So you, your dish soap is a polar substance. It's just not as strong as gasoline. gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, we need gasoline in the house. Gasoline everywhere. <laughs> Pour it all over. Thumbs up. Let's do we it. We should start smoking, too. <laughs> uh, anyone have a match? <laughs> I like to feel classy. I like to light a match and put it in my put cigarette. Put a cigarette. <laughs> Suddenly your entire house bursts. And then I pretend to be Betty Davis. What's a dump? No? No? Just me? Just you. All right. Maybe Dusty. He'll hear it and be like, yeah. What a dump. He gets it. Uh, I don't. Actually, anyway, no, it's more. What a dump. That one. Yep. What a dump. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the same day that the packet was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported to have been seen at the top of the garage can. At garage the top can. of a garage can in a garbage can yeah that one um in a, a garage can garbage can in an alley uh, a short distance from norton avenue which was about two miles from where short's body had been discovered garbage a garage, garage. Can. um it's exclusive. The, uh, shut up the items were recovered by police but they had also been wiped clean with gasoline destroying the fingerprints excuse me on march 14th an apparent suicide note was scrawled in a pencil on a bit of fool's cap uh, was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue, Venice. 
A note read, uh, I'm sorry, the note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dolly killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that. Or this. Sorry, Mary. Who the fuck is Mary? Um, She's a drag queen. Just oh. referring to other people. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. Uh, the clothes gave no clue to who the fuck that was. <laughs> uh, police quickly deemed Mark Henson, the owner of the address book found in the packet, a suspect. Henson was a wealthy local nightclub owner uh, and an acquaintance at whom's, uh, I'm sorry, at whose home Short had stayed with friends. You should um, say whomst. Whomst. I almost said uh, and according to some sources, he also confirmed that the purse and shoe discovered in the alley were in fact shorts. So he was like, that's definitely her shit. Uh, but also, if someone was like, oh, Spencer's shirt, he'd be like, yeah, probably. He forgot it. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's weird. It's, yeah, sure. Because uh, he, he wasn't in possession of it. It was just like, if someone was like, show me a shirt of yours and said, is this Spencer's shirt? He'd be like, probably. <laughs> Like, I don't fucking know. Uh, my Little Pony t-shirt. I mean, I guess. I think so. I've seen him wear it. Like, is that weird? I think he loves horses. <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was going to go off on a tangent. I was not going to. I decided against it. <laughs> you know, it's a, have you seen my Scooby-Doo shirts? I have not, surprisingly. Well. <laughs> Next Sunday Funday. They've got Scooby-Doo on them. <laughs> And I'll be sober for the Sunday fun day. It'll be perfect. Not next Sunday, but the, you know, three Sundays from no, now. This coming Sunday. Okay. You're going to go by yourself then. Why? Uh, no interest Why? in going? Huh? Nothing? What? Um, so. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, according to some of he also can remember that. Yeah, okay. And Toth. Which was, I don't know who the fuck this is. She is literally mentioned one time. Ann Toth, Short's friend and roommate, told investigators that Short had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen and suggested it was a potential cause for him to kill her. However, however, he was cleared of suspicion in the case. That pisses me off. It's like, hey, she didn't want to have sex with him, so he killed her. 1940s. Fuck. Um, in addition to Hanson, the they were trying to do Whoopi in the corner, but she said no, and he so got he was very like, mad. I'm so angry. He went down to get a pack of Marlboros or Winston's or something, and they came back. He was so mad. <laughs> so he mad. He must have killed her. <laughs> the fact that she just like th- that was normal. Actually, oh, he didn't have sex with her. More time talking about the cigarette brands. Maybe they were rallies. Candles. <laughs> They had a distinct smell. They were very smooth. Ooh. I read in the magazine that they're for babies. Swish or sweet? <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't old. Oh. Think of Damn. old man names. Um, Arthur Chesterfields. <laughs> uh, yeah. In addition to Hanson, the Los Angeles Police Department interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks from who they believed to be potential suspects. Next. Manly... Who was who had been one of the last people to see Short alive was also oh wait no Henson was not her man Manly was her man uh, Manly man Manly man Manly who had been one of the last people to see Short alive was also investigated but was cleared of suspicion after passing numerous polygraph examinations Hey you got these little things attached to you Oh no breasts What No the polygraph Oh. They put on electrodes. Suspenders. Electrodes. They put on electrodes. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're just like, hey, did you kill someone? No. Oh, 
You're good. He's good. He's, he's good. clear. He's done. Janet. He's good. Janet. No more from sign him. Sign the paper. <laughs> he's out. He's out. Uh, police also Would interviewed. you care for a cigarette? Do you want a bro? Police also interviewed several persons found, found listed in Hinson's address book, including Martin Lewis, who had been an acquaintance of Short's. Lewis was able to provide an alibi for the date of Short's murder, and he was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. He also maybe have taken the plane. That's fine. 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, a total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on this case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff deputies and 250 state patrol officers from California. Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains throughout Los Angeles, which I assume is a lot. I don't know. Do they have storms in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's flat. <laughs> okay. Uh, abandoned structures and various sites along the Los Angeles River, but the searches yielded no evidence. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward, which is equivalent to $114,501 in 2019 for information leading the police to Short's killer. Shortly after this announcement of the reward, various persons came out with confessions, most of which the police dismissed as false. Several of those false confessors were accused of obstruction of justice. Yeah. So, hey, I've got information. Just kidding. Uh, now I'm in jail. I was down at the Walgreens buying <laughs> Chesterfields, and I said, <laughs> uh, "Man, smoking jokes doing anything for that, you?" Yes, I think they're the, hilarious. Man, that was two days after she died. Oh, <laughs> well, gee, Willikers, you didn't, <laughs> couldn't told me that any sooner. I was busy trying to mine gold. That was hundred years before. Yeah. That was fine. Well, knock me ahead and call me a racist. <laughs> You are. You are. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Well, damn. <laughs> it was probably immigrants anyway. <laughs> Terrible. But also true. Um, uh, not the immigrants part, the racist Reasons. part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just clarify. So I don't want to be yeah. deemed as racist. Sure. That's what you said. <laughs> On January 26th, another letter was re- received by the examiner, this time written, which this time handwritten, which read, here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Wait, why would he predict that three days in the head? Wait, what? So this was this was found January 26th. His written letter says, here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had fun at the police, Black Dahlia Avenger. So this was found three days prior to his letter expected to be found i guess the thrill mob yeah so he has the, more time to go get marlboros from walgreens stop <laughs> the letter also named a location at which the supposed killer would turn himself in police waited at the location on the morning of january 29th but the alleged killer did not appear instead at 1 p.m the examiner's the examiner offices says newspapers received another cut and pasted le- jesus i'm dying another cut and pasted letter which read have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killer killing was justified. She was like, just kidding. 
They're I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Because you guys were going to be not fair to me. And also, she's a bitch, so she deserved it. Um, the graphic nature of the crime and subsequent letters received by the examiner had resulted in a media frenzy surrounding Schwartz's murder. The cause of death was hidden as police allowed the media to... They, the police were like, okay, report whatever the fuck you want to. But we're not going to tell you certain cases, certain things, because no matter what you tell it. them, you're going to ruin it. Exactly. So when interviewed, lead investigator Jack, Captain Jack Donahue told the press that he believed Schwartz's murder had taken place in a remote building or a shack on the outskirts of Los Angeles and her body transported into the city where it was disposed of. Based on the precise cuts and dis- dissection of Schwartz's corpse, the LAPD looked into the possibility that the murderer may have been a surgeon, doctor, or someone in the medical knowledge. Uh, in mid-February of 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, which was located near the site where Schwartz's body had been discovered, requesting a complete list of the program's students. The university agreed so long as the students' identities remained private. Background checks were conducted, but they yielded no results. So, by the spring of 1947, Schwartz's murder had become a cold case with few new leads. One of the lead detectives on the case blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters' probing of de- details uh, and unverifying reports. So they were just like, we're going to report whatever the fuck we want to. Which, I mean, is 1940s. They did. They did. Um, in 19, uh, September of 1949, a grand jury convened to discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve murder, numerous murders numerous murders especially those of women and children in the past several years shorts being one of them in the aftermath of the grand jury further investigation was done on shorts past with detectives tracing her movements between massachusetts california florida and also interviewed people who knew her in texas and new orleans uh however the interviews yielded no useful information on the murder so let's get started <laughs> we haven't started yet yes so several crime authors what is this? I'm just. Oh, I pasted the wrong spot. This thing. What? Where am I? Backrolls. What page am I on? Oh. You must have wrote it when you're going down to this. Oh, we're good. Okay. CVS. To okay, I'm in the right spot. Okay. No. So this basically, this is an, an un- unsolved case. No one has any idea. Um, anything. The, the entire time it said three of eight, and I was like, damn, I am going slow, Lord. Uh, now I'm, we're good. We're we're good. So now we are on to the point of theories because we have no idea what the fuck happened. Okay, my theory. Uh-huh. Um. So she was known to get around a little bit. Promiscuous. The rumored, not not known. It's rumored. She's rumored the, to get yeah. around a little bit. Yeah. But there was um some documentary I saw where there was a man who was. Very faint. He was a club owner or something. Uh, man, not manly. Henson. Henson, yeah. And they said that it was him. And I, yeah, that's who I believe it probably yeah. was too. There's, there's, we're gonna get into the theories, which is a page and a half long. So, go on. <laughs> we, get, we get lots of them. But yes, there's that. Um, several crime authors, as well as Cleveland detective Peter Mirillo, um, have suspected a link between the short murder and the Cleveland torso murders which took place in Cleveland, Ohio, between 1934 and 1938. 
As part of their investigation into the murders that took place before and after the short killing, the original LAPD investigators studied the Torso murders in 1947, but later discounted any relationship between the, the two cases. In 1980, new evidence implicating a former torso murder suspect, Jack Anderson Wilson, a.k.a. Arnold Smith, was investigated by Detective St. John in relation to Short's murder. He claimed he was close to arresting Wilson for Short's murder, but that Wilson died in a fire on February 4th of 1982. The possible connection between Short's murder and the torso murders received renewed media attention when it was profiled on the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries in 1992, in which Elliot Ness biographer, Elliot Ness biographer Oscar Fraley suggested Ness knew the, identify, the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. I'm sorry, this is more copy and pasted than the rest of it because this is the last part that I had. Um, anyways, so basically they were like, this is similar to what we had in Cleveland 40 years later, um, but no cigar, literally. Um, no Marlboro down at the Walgreens. Yeah, no Marlboro. Uh, so this biographer was like, this random person that I'm writing a biography on knew the identity like okay um in february on sorry on february 10th of 1947 so this is a month after she died murder of jean genie janine genie french of los angeles was also considered by the media and detectives as possible as possibly being connected to short's murder French's body was discovered in West Los Angeles on Grandview Boulevard, nude and badly beaten. Written on her stomach in lipstick was what appeared to say, fuck you, BD, and the letters T-E-X below. BD. Yeah. Black Dahlia. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Um, according to historians John Lewis, however, the scrawling... Oh, wait, no. I missed it. The Herald Express covered the story heavily and drew comparisons to the short murder less than a month prior, surmising the initials BD to stand for Black Dahlia. According to historian John Lewis, however, the scrawling actually read PD, ostensibly standing for Police Department. Police Department. Exactly. And also, I mean, we had the riots of Los Angeles in what, 1948 or 1949? So it's like you already had police brutality as an issue at that time. So that makes more sense to me um crime authors such as steve hodell who is son of george hill hodell which we'll get to that name in a second because uh, i skipped that in an earlier part of the article uh william and william rasmussen has suggested a link between short murder of the 19 short murder and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of a six-year-old susan den deg degnan degnan d-e-g-n-a-n degnan um, of Chicago, Dignan. Illinois. Gn makes an n noise in French. Okay, well I'm not French, so Degnan. Um, Captain Donahoe of the LAPD stated publicly that he believed that of Black Dahlia and the Chicago lipstick murders were likely connected. Uh, among the evidence cited in the fact that Short's, among the evidence cited is the fact that Short's body was found on North Avenue three blocks west of Degnan Boulevard. Degnan being the last name of the girl from Chicago. Stop. <laughs> there were also striking similarities between the handwriting on the Degnan 
uh, Ransom Note and that, that of the Black Dahlia Avenger. Both texts used a combination of capitals and small letters. Degna Note, Note read in part B, capital B, U, no, I'm not, burn for her safety in multiple capital and lowercase. Um, and both notes contained a similar misshapen letter P and have one word that matches exactly. Convicted serial killer William Hirons uh, served life in prison for Degnan's murder, initially arrested for 17 for breaking... Or, no, I'm sorry. Initially arrested at 17 for breaking into a residence close to that of Degnan, Hirons claimed that he was tortured by police, forced to confess, and made a scapegoat for the murder. After being taken for the medical... After being taken from the medical infirmary at the Dixon Correctional Facility on February 26th of 2012 for health problems, Hiram died at the University of Illinois Medical Center on March 5th, 2012 at the age of 83. So they thought that he was the reason he, they thought that he was the person that killed this girl in Chicago, but it was apparently similar to that being dead in California. And they just like, yeah, he's the same person and he died and no one knows. Um, no, no confession. Uh, at, additionally, Steve Hodel was has implicated his father, George Hodel. So I had mentioned him earlier. So Steve, Ho- so George Hodel was this person, and then like that lived in California, and then Steve Hodel was his child, and he became a police like investigator essentially. Uh, and Steve Hodel was like, um, I think my father might have done this. Surprise. Uh, so Steve Odell implicated his own father as Short's killer, citing his father's training as a surgeon as circumstantial evidence. In 2003, it was revealed in notes from the 1949 grand jury reports that investigators had wiretapped Hodell's home and obtained recorded conversation with him uh, and an unidentified visitor saying, suppose and I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because he's dead. In a part of this article that I did not put in here, uh, Steve Hodel was a suspected, or it was a suspect, and he was also suspected of killing his secretary, um, and he was acquitted. He didn't go to jail for it. So there's that. Uh, in 1991, Janice Nolan, no, Nolton, there you go. Janice Knowlton, a woman who was 10 years old at the time of Short's murder, claimed that she had witnessed her father, George Knowlton, beat Short to death with a claw hammer in the detached garage of her family's home in Westminster. She also published a book titled Daddy Was a Black Dahlia Killer in 1995, in which she made uh, additional claims that her father sexually molested her. The book was condemned as trash by Knowlton's sister, I'm sorry, stepsister, Jolaine Emerson in 2004, who stated she believed it, but it wasn't reality. I know because I lived with her father for 16 years. Additionally, Detective St. John told the Times that Knowlton's claims were not consistent with the facts of the case. So these people keep coming forward. They're like, so-and-so killed her. Why the fuck does it matter? We have serial killers out here that are killing like 30 plus people. And you're worried about this one person that happened 50 years prior. Like, it's, it's a mystery. It's, it, I don't know. What are you going to get out of it? You get nothing. The nothing. glory of being the solver. That doesn't help anything. 
John Gilmore's 1994 book, Severed, The True Story of the Black Dahlia Murder, suggests a possible connection between Short's murder and that of Georgette Bauerdorf, a socialite who, strang who was strangled to death in her West Hollywood home in 1944. Gilmore suggests that Short's employment at the Hollywood Canteen, where Bauerdorf also worked as a hostess, could be a potential connection between the two women. However, the claim that Short ever worked at Hollywood Canteen has been disputed by others, such as Retired Times copy editor Larry Harnish. In, nine, I'm sorry, in 2017, the book Black Dahlia, uh, I'm sorry, Black Dahlia Red Rose, by Pew Eatwell focuses Pew. on yeah, focuses on, I'm sorry focuses on Leslie Dillon, a bellhop who was a former mortician's assistant. His associates Mark Henson and Jeff Connors, and Sergeant Finnis Brown, a lead detective who had links to Henson and was allegedly corrupt. Eatwell posits that Short was murdered because she knew too much about the men's involvement in a scheme for robbing hotels. For further, she further suggests that Short was killed at the Astor Motel in Los Angeles, where the owners reported finding one of their rooms covered in blood and fecal matter on the morning of Short's that uh, Short's body was found. The examiner states in 1949 that L.A. Police Chief William A. Wharton denied that the Flower Street Astor Motel had anything to do with the case, although its rival newspaper, the Los Angeles Herald, claimed that the murder took place there. Uh, Eatwell is working on a television documentary with, and a revised edition to her book due to be released in autumn 2018. So this is obviously an old article. Um... In 2000, Buzz Williams, a retired detective with the Long Beach Police Department, wrote an article for the L LBPD. I assume that means LAPD. What is LB? Los. Blanchless. Los Blanchless. Los Blanchless. Uh, news setter, the rap sheet for Short's murder. Um, Williams's father, Richard F. Williams, and his friend, Con Keller were both members of L.A.'s gangster squad investigating the case. Williams Sr. believed that Dylan was the killer, and that Dylan returned to his home state in Oklahoma. I'm sorry, that when Dylan returned to his home state in Oklahoma, he was able to be to avoid extradition to California because his ex-wife, Georgia Stevenson, was second cousin to the governor, Adlai Stevenson II of Illinois. There's too much connection. Who contacted the governor of Oklahoma on Dylan's behalf. So basically this bellhop was like, I'm going to go over to Oklahoma because uh, my second cousin is the governor and I'm good. Um, Keller believed Hansen was a murderer and that he studied the surgical school. He he had studied at surgical school in Sweden and had thrown elaborate, elaborate parties attended by the prominent LA officials. So he knew all the officials. So he was like, I'm good. Uh, Williams's article says that Dylan sued the LAPD for $3 million, but the suit was dropped. Harness disputes this, claiming that Dylan was cleared by the police after exhaustive uh, investigation of the district attorney's files positively placed him in San Francisco when Short was killed. Harnish claims that there was no LAPD cover-up and that Dylan did, in fact, receive a financial settlement from the city of Los Angeles, but that has not produced any concrete evidence to prove this. So... Eight pages later, we just talked about this one murder of this one woman in who was nobody in Los Angeles. She was somebody. She was somebody at some point. She was not famous, even no. though she maybe wanted to be, allegedly. She apparently. is famous now. Yeah, she is. The Black Dahlia. For being black, and she's not even black. 
She just wore black. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so what's your theories? What do you mean? What do you what do we want? What do you want? Well, uh, so and I had remembered when you had talked about it that um Morella, I guess. A manly and Henson. No. The mm, doctor. The doctor. Mm. Holmes. Holmes. Doctor Holmes. Uh no, I don't remember. Morello. There's no Morello. Anyway. Doctor. I thought that was strange. But I think it's Henson. Henson that paid somebody who knew how to chop up a body like that. Yeah. But I mean, so nobody it, really had any motive. So they said that Hansen apparently studied in Sweden, supposedly. Hansen is Hansen is the only person that I would say has the possibility of being the person that murdered her. But yeah, there was no motive. But uh, I love, not love, I hate the fact they try to associate all these killings with a serial killer elsewhere. Like, girl, this person died in California. In, in the 40s. Los yeah. Middle of Los Angeles, you found a dead body. That has obviously been planned to die. Because you can't just abduct someone and drain all their blood and cut them in half and just drop them in the middle of the street without some sort of idea like, this is going to happen. So that means that the person who killed her is in Los Angeles and has lived there for some period of time because they know the area. They know what the fuck they're some, doing. Somewhere where they can perform these. Exactly. So this person that you're looking for in Cleveland or, you know, every single other place, that doesn't exist. It's someone that's in California. Well, back then, I'm sure they thought such a heinous crime. Nobody could think of doing something like this. So yeah. the people that have already done it that are similar to this, they must all be the same person. Yeah. Because I can't fathom more than one person doing the doing same thing. these things. Yeah, I mean it, that carries over into the '70s when we have the serial killers that we've researched, like the Candyman and eventually Ted Bundy at some point. I mean, this is shit that's like, oh, this is so terrible that no one else can be doing this. So, yeah, I don't know. Is I feel I I just feel like a lot of this case. I I agree with the the detective that said the media fucked a lot of this shit up because it's true, but I also think that there was a lot of corruption in there because they found evidence with partial fingerprints, and of course, the only thing that they actually found was destroyed. So, I mean, that that has to be corruption somewhere in there. So that's why I, I think the most logical theory that we have so far is Hansen killed her and that he was corrupt with a bunch of corrupt LAPD officers and well he owned a club and that's yeah. where you went to go hang boozing. out yeah. yeah that or it's just some weird like very singular serial killer who only did just I'm one. just gonna I kill, this, kill one this one girl. one person but to kill her that precisely and like that specifically like that's a very that's specific <laughs> Because, like, I mean, if it's a single singular murder like that, in our experience of what we've seen <laughs> with serial killers, uh, that's going to be, like, a messy murder. There's, you know, some shit like that. To have something that specific, he has to either want her specifically dead, and that's it, or he's a serial killer, which means that he's going to kill other people, and he doesn't. There's no other... Killer, killings that are like that. Yeah, murders like, that are like that. I don't know. That's rough. So that's an unsolved case that just kind of happened. Wow. So there's that. What a journey we've been on. 
I know. For both of them. We went to the cigarette store so many times. Several times. Really well, this is the 1940s, so we need it. Yeah. We need those cigarettes to live and make it through World War II and the Cold War. I mean, four out of five doctors say cigarettes. smoking Thunderbird cigarettes makes you healthier. It'll make it'll help you last. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a thing? That makes say? your hair grow. <laughs> Makes hair grow on your chest, manly man. And if you're a woman, it makes your hair grow on your nipples. You only. <laughs> just that. All the hair on your head falls out. And just nipple hair. Yeah. Perfect for raising babies. <laughs> to keep their mouth warm. <laughs> I'm so grossed out. <laughs> That's just what they were thinking. Oh boy. All right. I'm tell us exhausted, a word. So tell um, us a word on our sponsors. Let me do that. Hey. I told about our sponsors last time, so it's your turn. Okay. Um, I love our sponsors. Do you love sponsors? I love sponsors. Because sponsors really make the world go round. They really do. They make our podcast go forward as well. Do you know what makes the world go more around, though? Uh, Writing job descriptions? (laughs) Well, economy. Oh. The economy does. My bad. Somebody who knows a lot about the economy is economy work. Oh. Tell me more about it. Well, Economy Works is a freelance talent network. That no pairs, way. Yeah, freelance professionals with project work. Whoa. So companies these days, uh-huh. you know, they've got lots of stuff going on. Uh-huh. Tell me things that they can't get done. Uh-huh. You know, um, like what? Social media. Oh boy, that's a big one. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, oh. Facebook, LinkedIn. Oh god. Uh, about I like to say uh, T-W-I-G-L-I-N-F-B. Uh, I love that. Um, you know, there's just so much going on, and they can't always get to it. Yeah. Um, I can't even do that. I'm just one person. I know. So if I need to, to branch out, what do I do? Well, as soon as I pull up this thing, then I can tell you exactly <laughs> what we're supposed to do. But they can help you do a lot of stuff, really. Do more with less? They help you do more with less, Oh, honestly. okay. I love that. Um it's so, yeah, I, you don't have time to take pictures. No. I don't. Do you have time to write posts? No. Absolutely not. I'm too I busy just share writing memes. these things. Um, and then you got to post them. Ugh. God forbid. Ugh. Uh, then you got to like, comment, share, and uh, subscribe no. and respond to followers. No, ma'am. Don't they, can't they do that by themselves? I have no, ain't nobody got time for that. Anyways, Economy Works is here to help. Oh, God. So let the Economy Works talent network help you do more with less. I love that. Because when we work, the, the Economy, Economy works. works! Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. Ah, oh, love that. Wait, is it my turn now? Yeah. Here I am to talk about. Hey. Hey. Uh, here I am to talk about our sister podcast. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about gay stuff. stuff. Um, that shit is. Wait, I want to sing like Thomas does at the beginning of his. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk about gay stuff. Talking about gay stuff. I don't like that. Let's talk about gay stuff. Gay stuff. Let's I want to talk about, about gay stuff. stuff. Let's <laughs> get into gay stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I no longer want to talk about their podcast, but uh, I will because they're a sister podcast and they talk about us every single week. Um, they talk about surprise, gay stuff. Gay stuff. Yeah. Uh, which surprisingly, a lot of their gay stuff is not something that I ever expect them to talk about. Uh, yes. Like some of the shit is like uh, porn. Because okay, I'll hear some of their like top their topic subjects, and then I'm like, okay, so but like 
How does that tie into that culture? Like, what are you going to do with them? What and always, every single time, there's something that relates to it and very strongly relates. Now, not just like, oh, he was gay and everyone else, no. Uh, this is like A plus research that all of them do every single time. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I found love. last week's episode very interesting about Anita Bryant. Uh-huh. Do you know about Anita Bryant? I do not. She's I have not bitch. listened to the latest episode. <laughs> Anyways, so it's about this bitch in the 70s who was like an anti-gay. Wait, was this in Houston? No, more in Florida. They called okay. her something. Thomas! Yo! Anita Bryant, what, did they, what was her nickname? Florida something? I don't know. Florida's natural? Pie, pie face. No, I'm going to tell them about that. What is that coming up in your episode on Sunday? So is the, is the name Last revealed Sunday in was one. Last Sunday was Anita Bryant. No, Comics because they're two weeks ahead. Two weeks ahead of us. No, it's not. It's out. She's out now. Yeah. Okay. It's already out. So what's her name? Anita Bryant. No. What's the the term? Oh, I don't know. Because it'll come out the same week as ours, so it's not spoiler. It's already, if it's it's already out. No, the next episode. No, they're not doing two in a row. It'll come up in the future sometime. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Anyways, so she was like on national television being like, gays are the worst thing ever. Surprise, that happens now. (laughs) Some guy in the back was like, fuck you, Anita. And he threw a pie in her face. I love that. I love that. And she wanted to cry so bad, but she didn't. And the priest on screen was like, let's pray. And so she grabs hands and starts praying. Like but then she starts crying. Yeah. Good. Good her. for her. Fuck That's what that you bitch. get. Because being gay is not a fucking choice. So if anyone's listening to the podcast that think that you're all holier than thou, no man. They've been listening for uh, 50-some yeah, episodes. I'm pretty but, sure they're okay with gay but people. But we also have talked about being straight several times. Oh, because wait. I'm, yes, not, I'm not gay. <laughs> I'm not gay either. Right. Love that. Aren't you the the creator of fish tacos? Oh yeah, I love fish tacos. So mm, moist, spicy. So, ooh, cayenne pepper. I love that the lettuce. Just dip it. Ew. Where's lettuce? Why? Not lettuce. Probably cabbage. On pickled cabbage. What are we talking about? Fish tacos. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tortilla. Cabbage. So mm. warm. Ooh. Saucy. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Um, anyways. You want some chips and salsa? Nope. Nope. All right. Good. Okay. I don't want anything. Well, um, should we tell people? I think we should tell people that they should get, get spoopy, spoopy with it. it.